Uh, hey, good morning. Uh, it, it's great to be here. We, we've been before. We love you. Um, feel like we're a, a part of your family, and we don't. We don't. I'm not just saying that. I really mean it. When we we do, my wife. I want to honor my wife and Melody and Maggie and uh, Drew and my youngest Jude is in the nursery. My mother-in-law Margaret is here. I want to honor my my family. Um, but we we have a practice, and we're we're busy people. So if I'm traveling, I don't want to just travel and speak. I want to travel and partner with missionally minded, like-minded people. And so for me to be here, it just says a lot about your pastors and how much they value health and growth and the whole person and ministry. And so I want to honor you guys and just tell you thank you. And also, you uh, thank you for what you started and the legacy that you're leaving. And just say, guys, to be a part of a church that cares about health, holistic health, not just your spiritual formation, but your soul health, your physical, your relational health is unbelievably important, and it's rare. So I just want to honor you. Um, y'all, I, uh, we, we do have a practice. Our mission is we guide people into hope, wellness, and life, and so we were able to come and be a part of a, the marriage weekend. We had a lot of good conversations about um, healthy people equal healthy marriage, healthy relationships equal healthy marriage, and healthy marriages equal healthy home cultures. And I want to hit a little bit of a recap before we pray and dive into this. But one of the recaps that I think is appropriate for all of us is that perspective is powerful. How we think about things is really, really, really powerful. When we focus on the wrong, our brains actually rehearse the wrong. So if I'm saying things like, I'll never fill in the blank. I'll never yell at my spouse or my kids. And then a few years later, I find myself yelling at my spouse and my kids. And I wonder why, because I've been saying things, I'll never do that. Your brain doesn't hear the quality of the statement. In other words, it doesn't hear the positive or negative. Your brain doesn't pick up on the negative. I'll never. It just picks up on the yell, 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 yell. And we behave what, in ways that our brain uh, processes. What we rehearse with our brain will manifest in our behavior, period. So what we want to actually do, particularly in marriage, is instead of saying, well, you never do this, what we want to do is start to switch and go from I'll never to saying, no, I will connect with my spouse. I will love my spouse well. I will serve my spouse well. And we can take that mentality on as Christians. That's why Paul in Philippians chapter 4 says, Hey, whatever's true, think about those things. Whatever's lovely, pure, worthy of praise, excellent. Paul's not saying that we should ignore the issues. What he's simply saying is we want to switch our perspective because we end up doing the things our brain rehearses. And so that's applicable for marriage but it's applicable for life and shifting our focus to what brings life and ultimately what fosters authority. Say that word with me. Say authority. authority. What fosters authority is critical for how we foster holistic health in our lives, including soul health. And that soul health is really, really important for who we are as believers. And so today we're going to talk about the power of authority particularly in how we foster well-being as a whole and why that's important as Christians. Paul talks about it. We're going to talk about how Jesus modeled it. Um, and, and I'm not going to so much preach from a point as much as I'm going to teach 
towards one. So let me say that again. I'm not going to so much preach from some points as much as I'm going to teach towards a point. So we're going to go on a journey. And let me give you the journey. We talked about some parts. So we're going to talk about the fact that we all have different parts. And those parts exist in a whole. And we need to have authority over that whole to be able to live and accomplish all that God has for us. You ready to do this thing? Let's get this party started. Forget you saw that. Um, I still got some of that marriage rolling. We had a good. We had a good time. Let's pray, Lord. We love you, and we thank you. Thank you that you give us the ability to switch how we see things, and you give us your perspective. And I pray that your perspective just shines through as you speak to me as well through me in ways that help us hear and receive. Lord, messages are meals that help sustain us in this journey of our faith. And so I, I pray this is a good meal that we're able to eat and take. And it's a meal that we'll want to keep eating over and over and over again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Guys, I love rockets. Anybody else a rocket fan? None of you. Okay, that's great. No one is a rocket fan in here. The, the science of rockets is pretty fascinating to me. And according to NASA, this is what rockets look like. I believe we've got a slide for that. That's what a rocket looks like. You've got your payload system, so whatever you want to deliver, <laughs> that's where you put it. The guidance system, which is pretty important. You got the propulsion system that's made up of fuel frame, oxidizer, all these different parts that are um, the structure of it, but also what you're delivering, how you're delivering it, and what gets you there. And if any of that rocket malfunctions, we got a problem. Houston, we have a problem. The integrity of the rocket. Is compromised. Integrity is another word for wholeness. If any one of the parts of this rocket is compromised, the integrity or the wholeness of the rocket gets compromised. So we don't go reinvent the rocket to not have a part that doesn't work because it's broken. We just get a new functioning part. We get a healthy part. We, we fix it and the rocket starts to work the way it was designed to work. So like a rocket, we actually all have different parts, particularly in our own souls. And those parts contribute to who we are. For example, some parts are identity parts. Like I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a friend, I'm a brother. I'm so I'm a psychologist, I'm a lover of music. And each, each part is connected, but they're also unique in their own ways. Like every single part has its own unique experiences. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. That's why um, some parts of me can be healthy and other parts not. I can be an amazing parent, but not a healthy spouse. Everybody wonder, like, I'm saved. Why, why am I struggling in these different areas of my life? It's because you're being sanctified. And some parts are just further along in the journey than others. It's identity. I've got other parts that just try to protect me. Those parts try to protect me from experiences that I don't want. If I felt rejection or if I felt shame or if I felt fear, I'll have parts that jump in to try to shove or repress or move those parts away from me that I don't like. 
But Jesus calls every part of us to the table. If you think about Abraham, Abraham in Romans 4, it says that he contemplated his age and Sarah's barrenness. Abraham had a part of himself that paid attention to the reality that God gave a promise and the problems that I have are in direct contradiction to the promise of descendants. I am too old to have kids. That carries a lot of medical connotations, but I am too old to have kids. My wife, I cannot have kids anymore. But he had another part of him that operated out of faith and against hope, with hope, he believed what God said. So he was able to look at the objective reality of what was in the way of the promise, but he had the core part of him that said, no, 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 I'm going to trust what he said. That's why he's the father of our faith. Abraham had the capacity to acknowledge objective reality, but agree with God. Acknowledging a struggle that you have, acknowledging a part of yourself that you don't like is crucial because we can't give to God what we deny is there. And a lot of times in the church, we won't want to admit that I have certain thoughts or certain emotions or certain feelings, but we've got to acknowledge those things. And as I acknowledge those things, I'm able to bring those to the table and go, Jesus, what do you want to do? Because I want these parts to be healthy, but I'm going to choose to agree with what you say about who I am. Very, very important. Every part is important and needs to come back into an integration, a whole. And that's what Jesus is about, making us whole. I want to be whole. Spiritually, every part comes to the table. That's what Jesus wants. Every part healed, healthy, and integrated. And these parts of us actually fit, especially the soul. It all exists within a larger context of wholeness. And we see pictures of this wholeness everywhere in the scriptures. For example, in Paul's letter to the Romans, I'm going to read this to you, and then I'm going to break it down and explain what I mean by wholeness. Romans 12, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul is making some assumptions here. When he says, therefore, you, therefore, you, he is assuming that you and I have a role in what's about to take place. That's part of your will. And the will is a part of your soul. We, God equips us and empowers us, but we have to choose to participate. There's something in us that he places in us that can say, yes, me, I take responsibility for my part in this process. I know you're equipping. I know you're empowering. And I say, yes, Lord, I'm engaging this. Brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that word mercy is a gut. It's this gut level compassion. It's giving us this image that when God feels mercy towards us, it would be the same way that we would feel a gut level compassion for our children or people that we love. So it's connected to the body. And he goes on to say to present your bodies, our physical bodies, which is your spiritual service of worship. The word spiritual is logikos. It means a reasonable service. It's not some high and lofty idea. When he says to present your bodies, it's a spiritual act of worship. He's saying this makes sense. It's reasonable. It has to do with your mind. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
he's talking about the world. That's sociocultural factors. We live in a culture. We don't live in isolation. Transform that spiritual, psychological from the inside out by the renewing of your mind, which is a part of the soul, so that you may prove what the will of God is. Who are we proving it to? People. Our faith in what God does in us is a social statement as much as it is anything else. Now here, if you're tracking with me, here's Paul's assumption. In a, in a verse like Romans 12 that we will read all the time and miss it, Paul is saying we're whole people. We are bio, psycho, socio, spiritual people. You have a body, a brain. All of those things are connected to the psychological part, your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. We're social people. We don't know who we are apart from the relationships we're in. Think about that for a minute. God places a core self in us, but he puts us in relationships to mirror back who we are and who he says we are. So if I'm looking in a mirror as a kid and the mirror that I'm seeing myself in is broken and cloudy and I've got two or three heads and I'm not real clear, I walk away thinking I'm a monster. Am I? No. It's just the mirror's broken. And a lot of us have looked in the mirror of broken relationships for the majority of our lives. And we think we're monsters. And Jesus says, I died for you. Why don't you look in my mirror? And as the church looks in the mirror of Jesus and then reflects him back to others and people see themselves in the mirror of the church, they see a pretty healthy image. They see who they were designed to be. We are inherently social people, which is why you need to get in small groups. You need to be in relationship or you will get stuck in the echo chamber of your own thought life and be destroyed by it. There's nothing that will shut your calling down like an echo chamber of negativity and lies going on within this part of who you are. You need reflection back that says, that ain't true. This is who you are. This is who the scriptures. You confess sin, I'll confess to you who you are. Lord, I confess this sin, the church says, and I confess that you're loved by God. Man, we need those relationships. And then we're obviously spiritual. We have a spirit. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We have a body, a soul, relationships, and spirit. And for me to, let me bring this home a little bit more. Our salvation is holistic. When we say, are you saved? If you've never really been in church and you start to hear people go, hey, or you need to get saved. What we're talking about is the word justification. That's just a big old theological word that simply means you have been made right in relationship with God. And the Bible says for those who've been justified, they've also been glorified. Glorification is just another word that means we will be saved when we see him face to face. We get new bodies. So justification has to do with our spirit being made right. Glorification has to do with seeing him face to face and getting new bodies. And I love what John Piper says about this, that these we would be eternally frustrated. And I would say obliterated if we had to see God in these bodies because the glories that God has prepared for us when we see him, these bodies can't handle, so he's got to give us a new one. And God cares about bodies. God used a physical body to redeem a spiritual issue. I don't know how to explain that, 
that's above my prey grade and way outside of my intelligence. But he decided to use a whole person to take care of a spiritual problem. So we get new bodies and then you've got this thing in the middle called sanctification, where it is us being transformed by the renewing of our minds, our souls, our relationship. Our salvation is meant to be holistic. So when we care for all of who we are, not just our spirit, but when we start to acknowledge the reality of what's going on in our souls and we take care of our souls, we take care of our relationships, we take care of who we are as whole people, that is not selfishness. It is stewardship and it is an act of worship. I think I've helped feed you this meal before, but it's worth eating again. I don't know how many of you drink coffee. I don't drink a cup of coffee and go, I'm good. <laughs> I had this one time in my life. I don't ever need this again. Um, listen, I, the same thing with lasagna. I mentioned this. I won't, I won't say everything I said, but lasagna. Phil, <laughs> you got that. I, I don't eat lasagna once. I want that thing. Oh, this is the kind of meal we need to keep eating over and over and over again. You practicing holistic self-care is not selfishness. It is stewardship and it is an act of worship because as believers, we don't stop with the self. We live from that place in a way that glorifies God and helps people see him clearly. Man, so shifting this perspective towards life and authority requires that we pay attention to all of the parts of who we are. When we ignore this reality, our integrity as children of God, like a rocket that's cracked, our integrity as children of God becomes compromised and we don't operate the way we were designed to operate. For example, I could be trying to pray away depression because I think it's a spirit of heaviness, but really it's an issue with my thyroid. Thyroid problems can mimic major depression, anxiety disorders, even bipolar disorder. And I'm trying to pray it away spiritually. I need to be praying for physical healing and getting the appropriate treatment. Sometimes I can pray for friendship and be bitter that I struggle relationally, but I'm not willing to examine my, how I push other people away because I'm wounded. So I fear rejection, so I preemptively reject others. I'm complaining about relationships, which is relational, but I'm not willing to pay attention to my own soul, which is psychological. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I'm just, just guys. So if you watch it online, and you'll just give you. Just come on in for a minute. I'm preaching to myself, too. Sin plays a major role in this. Just the idea that we miss the mark. That's what the word sin means, to miss the mark. And so we can miss the mark. So do circumstances that are outside of our control. And there's grace there for this. Guys, we are, we're, like, we're all in the same boat. And if I'm not in your boat, I'm in my boat and I'm out there paddling with you. I tell a lot of people when I'm working with them, listen, the only difference between you and me is that I'm here to talk about your issues, not mine. And they laugh like you just did, and we, we keep on rolling. But, but listen, regardless of how we got to where we are, whether some of it's on us or it happened because it was outside of our control, we have to steward our wholeness. And while I'm not going to go um, and talk about uh, health in every single area, I do want to show you something that can help you live holistically. In fact, I was talking with Brittany. I think at the beginning of the week, we're going to be able to put this up on social media. So I just want to give it to you. It, um, 
and you have it as a resource. So if you're curious about this, you can get into it. Um, and also, if you really want to dive into this, you can go to myrhythms.life. There's a resource there that we've created. But, um, but I want to give this to you. And it's, it's a visual of all of the different areas that are a part of our holistic health. And it starts with the spirit. It's going to be hard to see a little bit, but again, you can get it from social media at the, at the first part of this week. But each of these areas, spiritual formation is a part of our soul care and we self care. And we want to start there. We want to start there. We want to start with, we want to lean into our psychological and our soul care. And you can look up each of those words. We don't have time to get into them, but positive emotions are a part of that. Positive emotions are unbelievably important. Negative emotions suck our world in and we just end up surviving because all we see is through the, the, the whole of negativity and I've just got to survive it. That's what fear does. What positive emotions do, which is why they're parts of the Holy Spirit, is they start to blow that blow up that funnel and broaden our perspective so that we start to see all of the resources that God's given us. And then we can build on faith on the resources that he's provided. Does that make sense? Very important. Then you get into physical health and relational sexual health, environmental health, bringing order to your life, to your environment, to my car in Jesus name. And then lifestyle, financial, and then leadership. But all of these are different areas of holistic self-care. So I want to give it to you, but I want to focus on one factor that runs like a thread through every single one of these, and it's authority. Authority. Authorities borrow power. We're given power as a resource to accomplish the will of the will of Excuse me, the will of God in our lives. That snuck up on me. I think I drank too much coffee this weekend. Staying on. <laughs> that was funny. I didn't get authority over that one. <laughs> oh, that could have possibly been embarrassing, but it's a whole lot better to just laugh at yourself and keep rolling. Authority. Authority is borrow power. And it also has to do with identity. We have to know who we are and whose we are to be able to understand the power that we actually have. Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit for power to accomplish the will of God in our lives. So we've got to leverage that authority, leverage what we have in Christ for holistic health in every one of the areas that I just showed you. But what are we actually working to get authority over at the most basic fundamental level? Our experiences. We're working to get authority over our experiences. We live in a culture right now where emotion is king. If I feel it, it must be true. But in psychology, we call that emotional reasoning. It's a fallacy. Now, we want to pay attention to emotion. We don't want to chunk it. I know in the past we tended to just chunk emotion. Emotion's important. But you want to think about emotion as a consultant. They're great consultants, terrible CEOs. I don't want anger running my life, but I need to listen to anger because anger communicates that a boundary line has been crossed or a value has been violated or an expectation has not been met. That It can consult with me, but I've got to get authority over it. So I'm going to give you a visual. This is what every experience we have looks like. Every single experience that we have has thoughts connected to it. 
Not what you should think, what you actually think. Your behavior, not what you should do, but what you actually do or want to do. Your emotional state, not what you should feel, what you really do actually feel. So you've got your thoughts, your behavior, your emotions like a triangle, and the body is right in the middle of it. Because every experience you and I have is connected to neurophysiological courts. Brain and body are all connected together. And all of those things are happening within the context of your environment, which is the settings that you're in, the circumstances, which are um, what's happening in those environments, and then the setting events of your life. And the setting events of your life for everything that's happened in the background of your life or in your history that set you up for a particular experience. There it is. That is it. That is the anatomy of every single experience you and I have. And so what does authority look like? Authority starts to operate when we get awareness of what's going on. We've got to start to foster awareness of our experiences. What am, I, what am I really experiencing? What am I really thinking? Like Abraham, we acknowledge the reality of what's going on, but we don't have to agree with it. As I build an awareness of what's happening, I can regulate that. And listen, one of the most important ways of regulating, I don't want to reject those experiences. I don't want to reject those experiences. I want to regulate them. And one of the most powerful ways to regulate is breathing. Has anybody ever done deep breathing? Yeah? You could do something as simple as a four seconds through the nose. Eight out through the mouth. It, it, it regulates the autonomic nervous system, helps you calm down so you get clarity again. And let me say this about the breath. Theologians believe that when God gave Moses his name, he didn't speak, he breathed. Yah is way is so every single time you and I breathe in and breathe out, we declare the name of God. And his presence brings peace. His presence brings clarity. And so we are aware of an experience. We regulate that experience. And as we regulate, we foster understanding. What is really going on here? I'm angry. Ah, this value got violated so that I can ultimately respond, not react. I respond out of who I am, who God's called me to be what my mission and my vision are from, from my life, what my core values are. And let me say this, authority, God cares more about your authority over an unwanted experience than the absence of that experience in your life. Let me say that again. God, I feel like this is a very sacred moment. Because some of you have been so organized by trying to get the problem to go away that you forget to invite his presence into the, that, that problem and get his perspective. God, am I saying that God wants us to suffer? 
No, but I'm saying that he cares more about your authority over an unwanted experience than the absence of that thing in your life. Because what happens is if you care more about the absence of that thing, then you'll do whatever you need to do to get that thing to go away. You're being organized by the chaos, not by your identity and your growth. What happens when you start to get authority is that God starts to speak to you about who you are in him and what authority and power you have in him. And so the, the problem starts to cease to be a real issue because while it still may hurt, you start to get a different perspective. You grow through it and you get authority over the next time those kind of things happen. The rest of your life's not being organized by the chaos of it. We're almost done. Jesus... Jesus models this for us in the garden. Awareness, regulation, understanding, um, and response. Matthew 26, it says that Jesus went with his disciples. I may not be able to make it through this without crying. I apologize. Then Jesus went with the disciples ah, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here for a while while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, so Jesus actually confesses this to his disciples. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus is fostering awareness. Experience, awareness, regulation, understanding, response. Jesus is fostering awareness awareness. He confesses it. And he says, stay here and keep watching. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed. Now listen, in the work that I do, the trauma work that I do with people, we use the body a lot in that work because trauma is stored in the body. And so I've had people bent over because they're trying to regulate themselves. Shaking is a way our bodies regulate. And what Jesus is doing in this moment is he is literally getting on the ground and he's rocking to regulate because he is sorrowful even to the point of death. I want you to get this picture. Jesus now face down, he's physiologically doing what he can to still himself and he starts to pray to the Father. And this is what he says. Is it possible that you take this cup from me? I want you to think about this. Do you remember when I said we all have parts that try to protect us? Jesus had a part that tried to talk the Father and himself out of going to the cross. He was so afraid of what was coming. He was so stressed about what was coming. That part was not demonic. That part was not sinful. That was just a human part of him. And he led that part well. He said, yet not I, but as you will. And in Luke 22, it says he became anguished. He prayed so earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This is stress. What was happening was he was so stressed that he was experiencing a medical condition called hematidrosis, where the blood vessels in his body were exploding and he was bleeding through his skin. So I want you to get a picture of Jesus in this moment. He is on the ground rocking and his body is exploding. And he's saying, yet not I, but your will be done. If you've ever wondered whether or not Jesus loves you, we have the cross and the resurrection, but we have what he's going through in the garden. 
And then he goes back to his disciples. He's trying to regulate himself. He's like, guys, please watch and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I don't think he's just talking to the disciples there. I think he's talking to himself. My spirit is here, but my flesh is weak. He's again fostering awareness and he's confessing the reality of this. And he goes back and he prays, but Lord, not I, but may your will be done. Now what he's doing is he's fostering understanding. There's a bigger picture at play here. There's a bigger mission that I'm on than just my self-protection. I want this experience to go away, but I have to go through it with the authority that I have to accomplish the mission and the call that you have for me as your son, for your glory, for the joy set before me, and for the world's salvation. He's understanding, and he comes back. His eyes are heavy. They're sleeping again. He looks up. He says, look, the hour's come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. And this is his response. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. In the middle of that stress and being betrayed, he was aware of what was happening. He regulated it. He understood it. And he responded out of his identity and his mission. He responded out of his love for you and me. He was aware of his pain and his sorrow, and he confessed it to the disciples. Jesus acknowledged the reality that he had a part that didn't want to go to, go to the cross. He regulated himself through posturing and prayer. He understood the dilemma and the tension and responded in a way that lined up with his identity and his calling. Guys, this is authority. And the good news about the authority that we see in Jesus' life is that we have it in Christ Jesus. You and I have the authority that we just saw him go through because the same spirit that raised him from the dead lives in you and me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When we bring all of the parts of who we are to the table, even the ones we don't like, Jesus takes them, he integrates them. We live in wholeness and we live out the power of his authority to be who he's called us to be and then do what he's called us to do. I'm going to pray. After I'm done, we're going to, turn everything over to each campus. But before we do that, if you would close your eyes with me for just a minute, because I just want you to, to focus on your own soul. And I'm going to ask a simple question. Do you want that authority? If the answer is yes, we can't start with the gift. We've got to start with the giver. We've got to start with Jesus. And so I want you to pray this after me. And in fact, I just want all of us to pray together in solidarity. 
But if this, is, if this describes you, that I've never really given my life to Jesus and asked him to be the Lord of my life, I'm praying that prayer right now with you for that reason. Just raise your hand. Every eye is closed. I just want to see if there's anybody praying this for the first time. Amen. If you, if you, if you want to pray this in solidarity with the, with the person that's raised their hand, pray this with me. I want to pray it just to remind myself to come back to him as the source of life and authority. So pray this with me. Jesus, I trust you. Thank you for what you did. I'm sorry if I've ever taken it for granted. Please forgive me for my sins. Forgive me where I've missed the mark. I believe you died on the cross. And I believe you got out of the grave. And that you and you alone are my connection to the Father. I put my faith and my trust in you. Lord, I pray for everyone that just prayed that prayer. I pray for all of us that we continue to lean into who you are as we live this life, as we foster wholeness and live in the authority that you have for us so that we can reflect back to a community your great love for them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.